The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Before you have a seat, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your power. Thank you that we have a hope that now is alive. We have a living hope. Thank you for the joy that is ours to, to know and to serve you, to, to, to light up our lives. The joy of the, Lord, of the Lord is our strength so that we can be these glorious representatives, ambassadors, more than conquerors, to represent this, this glorious day that we sing of and talk about today. So be glorified, I pray today, in these, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, that it be pleasing in your sight, Father, that you plant your fertile seed, your glorious word, that you would plant it in the hearts of each one that is here, that you'd rescue You'd rescue the lost today, Father, that you would save the lost today, that you would sanctify the saved, and that you would do your glorious work. Edify the church for your work today, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Have a seat. All right, um, so grab your Bibles um, and turn with me to John chapter 3. Uh, as you're doing that, I have some thoughts for you. Uh, if you uh, if you came today and you forgot your Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, uh, there are Bibles in the uh, in the seats that are in front of you. There should be Bibles there that are available for you to use. Uh, but also, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to have that one, or we have new ones that we'd love to give you. So um, please uh, don't be without a Bible. It's a treasure. It's a gift. It's God's Word filled with power and truth. Uh, we're desperate for it, and uh, and that will be our reference, uh, our source today. Um, I want to read. I want to read this verse um, that came to me. Now this will come up again in the sermon, but but I just thought it was so relevant for that song this morning, uh, guys. This is a picture of what we just sang about right here. You know, the risen Lord, nail scarred hands, like that. He is coming in the clouds. He's coming to to receive his bride back. He's gonna. He, one day he's gonna return, and he and he challenges us to be ready for that day, to be ready for his his imminent return. His glorious return. He's going to come back to receive his bride. He's coming back for his church, right? And, it's, uh, and it says that God is patient in this process because his desire is that none would perish. Sheba and I were uh, at dinner last night. Um, how many of you saw the evening sky last night? Man, it was, it was, I mean, this whole weekend's been kind of like, the weather's been pretty crazy, right? It's been awesome. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, growing up in the Bahamas, um, we, uh, it always seemed like Good Friday was dark and rainy and, and, you know, and then it always seemed like Easter was beautiful. I mean, I don't know if you can't get out early this morning. I was out real early this morning and man, it was invigorating. It was cold. April 21st, and it's cold in Florida. Um, so like, uh, but it was invigorating, man. We're, we're so blessed to live here. Well, Sheba and I were out to dinner last night and uh, this sky, I mean, you could see the sky um, through the window in where we were sitting and the sky looked like it was being peeled back. You know, and, and I just, the, the, the scripture, First Thessalonians came to mind, you know, like, and, and it's like, it was like this, and I'm going, man, you know, and I think this, I don't know if you do, but I think this often, what if Jesus is coming back right now? What if he's coming back for his bride today? You know, and, uh, and, and I'm going, no, this is literally my thought. I'm like, no, that would be too obvious. It's Easter, you know, and, you know, it's like when you would not expect him. So yeah, that, it's probably not today, but, but this is what, the, this is the conversation that ensued after that. It's like, I said, I said to Sheba, I was like, honey, she's poking her little face out there through the door. Hi, honey. <laughs> she ducked down. Um, so, um, so I said, honey, I mean, like, are you ready for his return? 
Are, are you ready for him to come back? I mean, I mean, and then I think the question that, that I asked was, if he came back tonight, what would you have done? This is what I said. If, if, you came, if he was coming back tonight and you knew it, what would you have done differently with your time today? And she said, this is what she said. This was her words. I would have just been out there witnessing to everybody. And uh, the thought was, well, that's what we should be doing every day. And it really, you know, we're called to have oil in our lamp, to, to, to live with expectation of Christ's return and a sense of urgency and, and understanding the gravitude and the gravity of the cross and the implications of the empty tomb and the fact that there are people that are out there that are going to die and go to hell. And Jesus says that that road, that road is wide and many will walk through that path. We'll walk that path to destruction and we'll never consider the cross and realize the implications that God loved you enough to send his son to die in your place so that your sin could be paid for and you could stand before a just God justified. That you could have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a glorious... Guys, the, the world, as Mercy Me says, the world has never heard any better news than this. This is the best news ever, right? It's the gospel. It's the good news. And so uh, as we were worshiping, this is uh, the couple of verses that come to mind. And this, listen to what this says. Revelation 1.18. And Jesus uh, in, in Revelation is revealing himself to the churches and later in chapter 3. But here, listen to what it said. In Revelation 1.18, Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. This is our, this is our king. This is, his, this is his statement in Revelation. But listen to what he says here, because truly we have to know, we have to believe, if you, the scriptures are emphatic about this, this truth, this reality. And listen to what Romans chapter 8, verses 35, and this isn't on the screen. This, this, the Lord just gave me this. I, I have to share this with you this morning. And this is not a, a, an unfamiliar passage, but please hear this with fresh ears and, and listen to what this says. This is Romans 8, 35 to the end of the chapter, which is 39, and it says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many, how many hearts are just encouraged by that alone today? That truth, that, um, that Christ's love is never going to spoil, fade, be stripped from us. It doesn't diminish. It doesn't run out on us. It's a love that endures. We experience that in life with one another. Maybe we're even the ones that have passed that along, but Jesus will never do it. And none of that thing, those things that were described, none of that stuff will ever separate you once you have experienced, once God has administered his, 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 his heart to you. Literally, this is what God is doing through the work of the cross and the ministry of, of Christ Jesus. By putting his spirit in us, he is literally giving us himself. The Holy Spirit, God himself, he's giving us himself and in the process, he's putting his heart in us. When he said he would give us a new heart, it's his heart that he's giving us so that we would see with his eyes, that we would move with his hands, that we would live the way that he lives, that the golden rule wouldn't be something that we try to abide by, but it's something the Spirit just provokes us to. 
that we, we do for others what we wish would be done for us. And when we look at the cross and realize the grace that's been showered over our lives and we realize that we're called, we're blessed to be a blessing, we realize that we're meant to be grace givers. And when we realize the magnitude of his love for us, we realize that we were loved to be loved, to love, excuse me, and that we were forgiven in order to express, demonstrate, give forgiveness liberally the way that it's been liberally given to us. So... In your Bibles, if you turn with me, it's, uh, it's not ironic. It's not, it's not by surprise or it's happenstance. It's God's providence. It's God's sovereign will because we're in the Gospel of John as a church. We've been going through the Gospel of John since the beginning of the year. And today on Easter Sunday, we land on John 3.16. For God so loved the world, help me, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We're going to cap out here for just a moment. But before we do, I'm going to read it for us. And uh, please follow along. Because I think so often we read that verse and we don't listen to verse 17. And then 18 and 19. And then what God declares to us through his son in verses 20 and 21. And it goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only... Whoa, 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 whoa. What? For God so loved a rebellious world that hated him that he gave his only maybe begotten son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever, don't miss this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light, we just read this in John 1, right? The light has come, or excuse me, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Please hear this. This is what happened. Look, um, it's hard to have our sin exposed, right? I mean, listen, when, 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 when uh, humanity fell in the garden, sin entered into humanity in the garden on the other side of the fall, the first thing they did was they did what? They hid, right? But they, they did three things, in fact. We see it very clear in the text. They hid from God, by the way, hid from him. They ran from him. His holiness now, their sin terrified them in his presence right? They tried to cover up their sin by putting fig leaves on. It didn't cut it. So what did God do? And it's, it's, it's inferred, not, it's, not, it's not clear. We have to see it. The Lord has to show it to us. It says that they, he covered them with animal skin. In order for animal skin to cover them, what had to happen? Right? We believe it was possibly a goat or a lamb, but a lamb, something had to die in order for them to be covered. And was, it, was that a, was that a, a finished work? No, that was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do, right? And then the other thing they did is they started blaming each other. And here's our tendency, guys. We have a tendency to do the exact same thing. Think about your life. Have a retrospective moment here and just think about when, when you're wrong. How often does that happen? For me, a lot, okay, a lot. But when you're wrong, when you fail, when you fall short, not if, when. It's interesting. God said this. He said, when you eat of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, you will die. You will surely die. When, not if, when, right? God knew. 
God knew, not surprised by this moment. And here's the good news, guys. He's never surprised by your sin either. He's there. He knows, right? He doesn't love it, but he loves you, right? And he, and he paid the ultimate price, Christ did, so that you don't have to live in your sin. You can be rescued from it and you can be set free by the blood of Christ and the word of his truth. And so here's the thing. In the garden, they, they run and hide and they start blaming each other, right? Who gets blamed first? First thing out of Adam's mouth is, this woman you gave me, God gets the first blame, right? Don't we see that happening all the time anyway? Like God gets blamed. What did God do? Well, he's just perfect. So let's, let's lay it on him. And we did. And he did, right? And that's how we've gotten set free. But here's the deal, guys, is that we have a propensity to cover up, try to cover up our sin, and it doesn't work. It's not going to work. God sees it all, right? And, uh, and yet, even though he saw it all, here's the amazing thing about God's love. God was not ignorant to every sin in your life. And not just in the moment, but in all of your life. He was not ignorant to that when he sent his son to die for you. He knew all of it and loved you anyway to that extent to die. Jesus said in John 15, 13, he says, no greater love than this than a man lay down his life for his friend. And I call you friend. That's the greatest expression of love. And God knew but we have a propensity to blame. Like we'll start pointing blame at anybody else. We are, we're so terrible at going, yeah, I did it. Yeah, it's me. Which we call confession and repentance. That we basically we're agreeing with God that your standards are, are perfect and I fell short. And we confess it. And you know that's all he wants? Isn't that amazing? That when God walked into the garden and said, where are you? He was probably going, he didn't know where they were, right? No, God was fully aware of where they were at. He knew they were hiding. He knew why they were hiding. And so God said, where are you? Why? It was a question in order to invoke confession so that they would say, we're over here. We made a bad choice. And that didn't happen. They just started blaming each other. They had already been hiding. They had tried to cover up with figs. It just, it didn't happen. So this is what needed to happen. There needed to be a, an ultimate lamb. Not just any lamb, but the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus was already purposed before day one was created. The scripture says before, before the creation, Christ was crucified before day one because God knew we would need that in order to be rescued and ransomed back to him. And so, look, we all have a tendency to want to conceal our darkness, to want to blame others for our darkness, to somehow try to hide our darkness. And right here it tells us, listen to what this says. And this is the judgment. The light, speaking of Christ himself, the light of the world, has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than come into the light. And people, uh, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So please hear this. And God knows and, and he is willing and able to cover your sin. He wants you to walk it into his presence because he's invited you to do that. We have a tendency to either fight or flight. These are two you know, worldly perspectives in psychology that we either fight or we flight, right? We're, so what happened with Jesus is this, is that... We didn't want this light shining into our darkness. 
So we either, we either run from it, flight, or we fight it, and that's exactly what humanity did. They killed, they extinguished the light, and God knew we'd do it and sent his son anyway. But I want to tell you there's a different response that we can have, and God is beckoning us to this response. Rather than fight the light and try to extinguish the light that is exposing our darkness because we feel the shame and guilt of those things, or run from the light because you can't, because that light, doesn't it seem like, David said it this way in Psalm 51, my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Our sin chases us, right? And it'll chase us right into hell. But here's the, here's the amazing thing we sang about, a reckless love that chased us down to declare that he loved you enough to die in your place so he could rescue you from this destructive path and set you on the narrow path that leads to eternal life. And we can't get there without him. He's the one that picks us up and ransoms and rescues us and sets us on this path that leads us right to the Father. And he's going to make us just like him. He's going to finish what he started. This is the glorified work of God's spirit. Jesus says, it's better that I go that he comes because he's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to comfort, counsel, and convict you. And he's going to get it done. Guys, are you hiding from your sin today? Or is your sin chasing you down? Do you feel, you feel the... You feel the darkness of it and, uh, and, and, and you're just wrestling or fighting with it rather than just, just agreeing with God about your sin. Listen to what the passage goes on to say. Verse, verse uh, 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, and this is, this is a mark of Jesus and his ministry, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clear, clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In 1 John, we're say, it tells us to walk in the light as he is in the light. It's, it's a confessional lifestyle. You know, the church is, is often uh, you know, called, hypo, called hypocrites. And you know what the truth is? We are. We are. We know what we should do. and We don't do it all the time, right? We fail. For, anybody not fail here? Anybody not fall short? Oh, I saw that hand almost go up. Yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> so like, here's the thing, right? So what, what, what is the mark of the believer? It's what, it's what John the Baptist said to the Pharisees. He said, you brood of vipers, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what the believer is called to do. Because look, who needs to change, God or me? Right? Who's the one that needs to be made perfect? It's us. And God is in the, world, in the process of doing that by his spirit. And here's what that means. That means I've got to change. I've got to submit. I've got to yield. I'm the one that needs to confess and repent. I'm the one that needs to agree with God that, 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 that what you call sin is sin. Even if I don't agree with it, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you, God, on this. And I'm going to confess and repent of that. And, and, uh, and I'm going to claim your son as my own because you've made that offer. And that love will never, never be taken from me. I'm, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just unpack this for a moment, but I'm not going to speak anymore. I'm going to let the whole, I'm going to let the scripture speak because you know, the truth is it really doesn't matter what I say. Hopefully what I say is just what he says anyway. All that matters is what the scripture says, right? And so let's, let's let the scripture speak on this particular text this morning. Listen to what this says. Follow with me for God, the father, so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever Believes in him should not perish eternally, but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8 says, and, I, and here what I'm, what I'm trying to do is, is, is really unpack with the scripture 
For God so loved the world. Man, you have to, we have to see in the scriptures that the motivation of God was love. Listen to what it says. Romans 5, 8. But God the Father shows his love for us. The NIV says demonstrates his very own love for us. In, in that while we were still sinners, yet sinners. Later on it talks about enemies of God. Christ died for us. What motivated that? What was the, the purpose? To demonstrate God's own love for us. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Did you see that? Because of the great love with which he loved us. And the cross is the, is the it, you will never be more loved in that moment. And you were loved in that moment, as, Marty, as we sung about. Like reckless love for me. You know what Paul said? Paul said, I am crucified with Christ that I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for. Paul made that super personal in that moment because Jesus died for the whole world, but he died for you uniquely and understood the implications of that. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 says this, Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the God and God, our Father, who loved us. Do you see that? Who loved us. Who loved us, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, here it is, and sent his son to be the propitiation. And what that means is, big word just means to satisfy God's wrath, to swallow our sin. Like Jesus drank the cup. We're going to get to this in a minute. Like Jesus willingly took God's full wrath for all of humanity's sin. What would motivate someone to do that? Like we think about, oh, he died on the cross, the most excruciating form of capital punishment that we've ever had in the world. But that's not all he went through, right? His beard was ripped from his face. He had bags put over his head and he was punched saying, tell us who, who punched you. He was mocked not once but twice by, by Herod's, uh, um, by Herod's uh, soldiers and by Pilate's soldiers. Put a crown of thorns on his head and said, hail, king of the... Mocked, mocked God to his face. And you know what's ironic? Three o'clock that Friday afternoon, sky had been black for three hours. The earth shook. I mean, it was prophesied in, in, in Joel chapter two. And you know what happened? A centurion, the very one that was over the entire crucifixion makes this claim. A pagan makes this claim. Surely this man was the son of God. That's his observation. The, the thief on the cross, this was his observation after hanging next to the Lord for six hours on that cross. This was his observation. You know, you, need, you over there need to shut your mouth. Do you know who you're talking to? Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, today, today you will be with me in paradise. I believe that Simon Cyrene, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, these men were changed by their encounter with Christ. And a centurion, the one responsible by Pilate to crucify this man that Pilate wrote was the king of the Jews, not claimed, but was the king of the Jews. I believe Pilate was moved. I don't know. I'm hoping to see him in heaven. But here's the deal. Is that every, every person that comes to a face-in-face -face encounter with Jesus Christ, never the same. And that's me too. I hope that's your testimony. Because it's true. The love of God changes our life. 
the love of God, God demonstrated in such a sacrificial way in order to pay our sin debt, that's a glorious testimony. Who loved us and gave us eternal comfort, good hope, and, and through grace. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. Don't miss this. I almost underlined the whole thing. Listen, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son. Listen, in this, Speaking of God sent his own son into the world. In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was exposed to us, among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that, here's the so that, we might live through him. Are you living through him? Anybody? Are you living through him? Are you experiencing the, the, the glorious life that he purchased for you? So, but it, listen, it's on the other side, and we'll see this at baptism this afternoon. It's on the other side of us saying, I die to me so I can live for you. I die to me. That's the, that's the whole picture of baptism. That's why baptism means immersion. Buried, raised with Christ. Water, washed of our sin. Right? This is, this is the work that only God can do. And it's not like baptism saves us. It's just a picture of what did save us. And that's the cross of Christ. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing thing that God has done for us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, satisfying of, of the wrath of God and swallowed up our sin, our sin for us. John 1, 29 says this. And, be, and the next day, John the Baptist is the he there, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the lamb of God. And then what does it say? who takes away, who takes away the sins of the world. You know, the Old Testament describes this, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgression from you. Like, this was a picture of Jesus casting your sin, like, into the abyss. He, you will never, listen, please hear this. Perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. You will never be punished for your sins if you are in Christ. You will be disciplined by his love, but never punished for your sins because Jesus took your sins, not in part, but in whole. He took it all. That is what cries, screams the demonstration of God's love to humanity. Listen again, just listen again to what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And here it is, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So I have a question for you. Why did Jesus agonize in the garden? What was the source of his agony? And I believe it wasn't because he feared Rome, the Jews, or even the agony of the cross, but that he fully understood the wrath that was due humanity and the separation that would come. Listen, listen to this, and I read through this so that it's just for understanding's sake. Listen to what this says. In Psalm, the psalmist says in Psalm 75, 8, he describes something that's very vague, and I want to, I want to point that out first. He says, in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours it out from it. He pours out from it, and all the wicked, all the wicked of the world shall, shall drain it down to the dregs. It's the cup of wrath. And if, I, I'm just going to read some more verses just to prove what, what, uh, what we're saying here. Jeremiah 25, 15. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup. Now, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He was the prophet that had to tell Israel, You're going into captivity because of your disobedience. And he says, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, as he says to Israel as a mouthpiece of God, Take from my hand this cup 
of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Now, later on in Revelation, we get another picture of this. And it says in Revelation 14, 9 and 10, it says, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tortured with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. Why did Jesus pray? Or excuse me, what did Jesus pray in the garden? What did he pray? And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of your wrath pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He was obedient to the father in order to embrace. Listen, I don't know if you've ever tasted your own, like the, 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 the guilt, the shame of, of, of sin right, or the conviction of sin. It's, it's a weighty thing, but Jesus took the full expression of that for all of humanity from past, present, and future. He took it all on his shoulders because here we see he was willing to be obedient to the Father no matter what, no matter what. And so Isaiah 51, 22. Now, let me say this. There's a shift that happens in Isaiah. There's 66 books in Isaiah. There's 66 books in the Bible. And at, at, at 30, chapter 39, just like in the Old Testament, there's 39 books. At, at, the, at the 40th book of Isaiah, just like when we had in the, the New Testament, the 40th book, there's a shift, and we start hearing about the redemptive new covenant, right? And, and here we are in chapter 51, verse 22, and it says this. Thus says the Lord. Now, we're talking, now he's talking redemption. Thus says the Lord, your God. Now, the thing I underlined here is this. Thus says your Lord, right? The Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people, right? Behold, listen to what he says here. Behold, and this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do. Listen to this. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more. This is what Jesus was praying about in the garden. All of God's wrath and hatred towards sin stored up since the creation of the world is about to be poured out on him. In that moment, almost 2,000 years ago, all of the righteous wrath and justice of God do us came pouring down on Jesus. And only just a short two chapters later in Isaiah, listen to what it says in, the, in this passage of the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, this is all depicting Jesus' ministry on the cross. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And he, the Lord Jesus Christ, was wounded for our, trans for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. This is 700 years before the cross. I mean, it's almost like he was there. The Holy Spirit writes this through, the book, uh, through Isaiah. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes, we are healed. With his stripes, we are healed. You kind of wonder, like, why, how, how could they not see this? And yet, they were blind to all of this and, 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 uh, and missed it. Verse 6, all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord, listen to this, and the Lord has laid, that's, that's the Father God, has laid on him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. 700 years. This was prophesied before Jesus walked the planet. Later on in verse 10, and this is interesting, listen to what it says. Yet it was the will of God to crush him. Yet it was the Father's will to crush his own son. Why? That's how much he loved us. That's what he was willing to do. That's the extent 
of his pursuit of your soul. Yet it was the will of God to crush him. He has put him to grief. This is the father for the, to the son. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, and then we start to see resurrection text. Listen, when, 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 when talking about his soul making an offering for guilt, that's Jesus' death, he shall see his offspring. That's us. He's the firstborn among many brethren. He shall prolong his days, and he and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Do you see, do you see the resurrection right there in this text? Christ drank, obediently, by the way, fully aware of its magnitude. He drank the full cup of God's wrath, and then he simply cried, it is finished. Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the good news, guys. The perfectly just and loving God of the universe considered the hopeless state of his fallen sinful creation and sent his son to bear his full wrath against sin on the most excruciating method of torture known to man. Why? To show his own love for us. Yes, but also his power, don't miss this, over sin and death in the resurrection that everyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ will be reconciled to God forever. And this is what Easter is all about. And that is why we celebrate an empty tomb and a risen Savior. Hallelujah. And by the word, the word, uh, by the way, the hallelujah means praise the Lord. Right? Praise the Lord. We have been extended an invitation to know the God of all creation. This is the truth. That in his death that we can come to know life. All over the world, people today are gathering to declare one thing. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Jesus has conquered death. And today we celebrate his victory over death. We are free because he is alive. And because he lives, so do we. Remember this verse, Revelation 1.18. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death in Hades. I hold the keys. He says this too. Later on, chapter 3 of Revelation, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If, you will, if you'll just open the door, I'll come in and I'll do intimate life with you. I will sup with you. I will have meals. I will do life with you. Jesus, is Jesus knocking at the door of your heart? Is it right now, do you feel like there's a work of the Holy Spirit that's done among those that, that don't know him? And it's this feel, it's this, I remember my day, 19 years old. And I remember sitting in, a, in, a, in a, an auditorium in West Virginia. And man, it still brings tears like God knocking on my heart and just saying, I love you. I want you. I know you. I know all of that. But Jesus died in your place. Come, receive the forgiveness that I want to offer you in this moment. And man, everything changed. Went from black and white to color. I mean, my life was transformed. The power of God was... I mean, listen, when God gets involved in an equation, it all changes. And when he gets involved in a life, he changes that life too. Romans 8, 1 through 4. Listen to what it says. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law, like, you know, unless we're righteous, we can't stand before God, but God gives us his son, his righteousness. We are the righteousness of God, it says, because of Christ Jesus. Um, the righteous requirements of the law might be filled or fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
And you can't walk according to the Spirit if you don't have the Holy Spirit. God wants to, he wants to put his kingdom in you. You know, where, you know where heaven is? Wherever God is. You know where his kingdom is? Wherever God is. And when he puts his Spirit in you, which is part of the Godhead, like when he is in you, his kingdom has come. His power resides in our lives. Jesus' victory over sin, my sin, your sin, and death, our death, is a permanent and eternal victory. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it says, For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. All shall be made alive. You see it now, don't you? Do you? I hope the Lord is, is pulling back the veil and showing you this glorious gospel, this message. When we refer to the good news of the gospel, this is what we're talking about, what we're talking about today. When Christ was nailed to the cross, so was your sin. And if you are included in his death, you are also included in his new life. When, when he conquered death, he, he, death was forever conquered. And if you are in Christ, please hear this. If you are in Christ, when he rose, you rose. When Jesus died and he took sin down with him, but, but alive, he brings God down to us. And he also brings us up to God. You are dead in sin, to sin, but alive to God, Romans 6 says. He is alive, so you are alive. That is the, the unification we have with Christ. What is, that, that is what Jesus did. So when you see Jesus hanging on a cross, see too your old life hanging on the cross. You are alive with God through Christ. See, I, I'm not sure where you are today, but I know where he was that day. He was standing in your place. And so... If Jesus is Lord of your life, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. If Jesus is Lord of your life, if that's your declaration, if that's your declaration right now, has been, will be, or it is today, I'm going to ask you to stand, to rise and stand to your feet. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord, as, as Savior, today can be your spiritual birthday. And it's as simple as this. I call it the ABCs. Accept, accept his grace, accept his love, his son's sacrifice on your behalf. Believe, believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he died to cover your sins and then confess, confess your sins that he alone is Lord and follow him with your life. In fact, he wants to make your life his life so that he can live his life vicariously through you. Romans 10, 10, 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Would you say that today? Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's the simple gospel message. Would you stand with the saints now and be reconciled? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in hearts and lives in this very moment. I pray that you would rescue across this auditorium every heart and life, that you would continue to unpack and reveal your love demonstrated through your son, and that the sacrifice was not in part but in whole. It totally, it is finished. It's a, it's a, it's a complete work that covers my sin, not, even yes, not just yesterday and today, but, but every sin. And, uh, and now I'm liberated to, to walk in your presence and to live for your glory. Let that be the case. Let that be the, the cause of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.